Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I am currently in a hotel in Washington, D.C., and I have probably slept two or three hours in the last 24 hours. This week is going to have some real weird energy for me, I think. Yeah, and I think that I'm Luke Bailey, and a large part of the weird energy is going to come from the room that Ryan's in, which for once I'm going to describe, because uh, I can see two walls of it. One wall is bare brick, which is, you know, bare brick has a significant range of how, like, interesting it can be. Like, Mm, bare brick can, can be, you know, cool Manhattan loft or murder dungeon. This has gone somewhere in between that, which is 70s porn thing. Because you yes. also have a uh, what looks like a full mahogany wall behind you. Uh, it's definitely got a wood casing on it. If, sure. if I had to ask you which floor of this hotel I'm in right now, what would you guess? Like, what floor does it look like? It is very dark. Mind, my, I mind you, it is 5 p.m. where I am. It is, is springtime 5 p.m. where I am right I now. I would guess that you are right in the middle of that building that that guy got lost in. Uh, for like six yeah. hours. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. That's, that's I'm there. the room you're in. I am, I am on the fourth floor of this building and it is daylight outside, but for some reason, there is no light coming through the, the window of my room. It's a very strange hotel I'm in. Uh, I'm in this hotel because uh, my internet, culture, media literacy, collective digital void is having an event this week. By the time you will be hearing this, me speaking right now, that event will have already happened, though. You missed it. So it was great. Everyone came, but it wasn't as good as me and Luke's uh, piss up in the basement of a pub last November. I thought it was really cool that you got Vladimir Zelensky to call in. I thought that was nice. Well, he's doing the rounds. You know, he's yeah. he's he's doing the Oscars. He's uh, gonna do the. <laughs> He's going to do the dream Minecraft stream. He was, he was speaking to Mila Kunis <laughs> and Ashton Kutcher the other day. So yeah. yeah. You know, anything, anything to help. All right, let's get into the show. This week on the Content Minds, we're going to go long on crypto. We're going to go long on NFTs. And it's actually, I haven't told Luke this, this is part one of a two-parter, but the, the second part is not coming next week. Okay, so we're not recording these both back-to-back because that would be a, a surprise. That would be crazy if I did that to you. If I was like, hey, surprise, we're recording <laughs> two hours today. No, the second part of this will come a little later next month. Because I will be recording from Miami because I have a press pass for Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, baby. Me, Jordan Peterson, Nayib Bukele, (laughs) all the best guys. I think Jordan Belfort is going to be there. The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm going to be there. I got a press pass for Garbage Day. And longtime fans will be very excited about this. I did not uh, succeed in getting my dad a press pass, but he is coming with me to Miami. So me and my dad in Miami, crypto convention, let's fucking go. (laughs) (laughs) That is that is fun. I'm into that. Okay. I'm very excited. I uh so in the next uh, couple weeks, 
Please let me know what you would like me to experience for you. I am going at great risk to my personal health due to COVID exposure because none of those fucking people are vaccinated. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But this week we are talking about uh, a concept that I really want Luke's take on. It's called Headless Brands. And it's kind of launched off the back of this idea that uh, there's going to be a Bored Ape Yacht Club restaurant chain soon. But before we get to that, hey, Luke. How was the internet this week? Um, the internet this week was... It was the way that kind of like the long period that we've been doing this means that what I think the internet now does is just absorb the energy of the people who are on it the most. The internet this week has been like exhausting because the internet this week has just been absorbing... Ukraine in the third or fourth week of the war energy, which is just absolute grind. And yeah, I think I think I think that's as I've come to the, come gone through this, I think that is very much it. It is like the internet absorbs the energy of just the people who are you are looking at most on the internet. I do think something is very different though and interesting about the war in Ukraine. And I think it has some interesting things to say about how the internet has been reshaped by COVID. Uh, which is that like, I think pre COVID a war in Ukraine would have followed like a very typical American, uh, media cycle and thus American internet cycle where it'd be like really intense for probably like two weeks, 2.5 weeks. And then it would kind of like become trivialized by like stupid, I stand with Ukraine profile pictures on Facebook or like some insensitive meme or like sure, some sure. celebrity thing. And then everyone would kind of like do what Americans do best, which is like, basically move on and forget about it. I think, though, that post-COVID, America has in, in many ways actually become more susceptible and more open to non-American news stories, or at least like sees themselves as part of a global conversation, which I don't think was as true uh, before 2019, 2020. And I actually think that like I, I find it almost impressive how long American media and American culture is still kind of engaging with the invasion of Ukraine, to be very cynical. So I would actually agree with that, the results of that, but I think I have a different cause. Oh, tell me. Well, I think the cause of that is in the US, Trump, and in the UK, Brexit, which were tie, kind of tied together. But basically, we hit a high point of news, let's call it for, for a blank thing, a news interest, interest in the news. Yes. And I think we hit that in 2016. And since then, it's just, it stayed high. And I think if... Like, we do need, I would really like nine quiet months of news. Like, it would be quite nice. But it was just the point where we we're kind of coming up Omicron. We're like, okay, cool. I think, I think, I think we might be on the downswing of this now. And then we're very much not on the downswing. We've, we've got the next thing. And it, yeah, I, like when you look back over history, there are obviously busy news periods and quiet news periods. But it does feel like since 2016, we have had very busy news periods and they have not really stopped. That's interesting. I actually, um, you know, I was I was browsing Twitter on my phone while going to the bathroom, as you do today, and I was uh, I was going through some Twitter discourse. A centrist financial guy was sort of making a, a flippant comment about the leftist reaction to uh, a New York Times piece, which, in the defense of the of the leftists who were upset about the piece, it was headlined: "The smaller bombs that could turn Ukraine into a nuclear war zone," and the tweet was uh, equally kind of crazy phrased, which was 
Experts say a new generation of less destructive nuclear arms may make the prospect of a nuclear strike less unthinkable than it once was. Now, I saw that come through my feed originally, and I was like, that's a weird that's a weird phrasing there. Uh, and then I just sort of went on with my day. But if you click in on this tweet, it has 3,891 quote tweets as of right now. And most of it are from like very, very angry leftists who claim that like the New York Times is advocating for smaller nuclear bombs. And then the finance guys, the centrist finance guys were making fun of them for thinking that. It's not true because like the New York Times is not going to just do that. But I did have this thought in my head where I was just like, wow, what if people aren't supposed to read this much news? Like what if like on both sides of the political spectrum, what if it is actually like what if it was much healthier to do what people were doing in the 80s and 90s, which was like sort of letting news wash over you and then sort of going about your day? What if we just weren't meant to consume this much news and actually like we need to stop? I mean, I think it's absolutely true. Like you should check in on the news when you open your paper at breakfast as you read it while ignoring your family. That's the Luke, dream. we have too we have too many American listeners for you to even come up with like that hypothetical situation of no, opening no, no, a physical no, no. newspaper. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is an American scene. This is uh, uh, Don Draper opening up his newspaper, ignoring his children while reading the newspaper, then getting on the train to go to work while also continuing to ignore his family. Oh, and you're talking about though, like like 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's the consumption. Oh, okay. That's the correct level of consumption of news. Oh, and, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And then maybe, maybe. You know, he gets home, he watches some black and white news TV and it says something and he goes, wow, and that's it. That's the news. That's all the news. I mean, you know this. When I was living in the UK, I would go down into the tube and I would get my free copy of the Metro newspaper Mm -hmm. and I would read it on the train physically, like a physical newspaper. And I would become enraged by what was in it. And then the middle part would soothe me. And then the end part, I would sort of zone out. And I actually I felt like that was like a very good consumer interaction with 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 uh, physical reporting media, which was like uh, I get my emotions all fired up and then I sort of calm down. And then by the end of it, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's that's, that's the dream. <laughs> but no, it is, it's clear that like news alerts on your phone are a bad thing. Yes. Although I started paying for Bloomberg's app because I'm in my 30s and I do got to say their push alerts are kind of a nice mix of completely uh, like completely not like not applicable to my life in any way. And then like just enough of like things that matter where I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I think it's the, the right tone. What I'm saying is like news should be boring and kind of not interesting. So a little look inside the, inside the, uh, how the sausage is made here. This is actually something that we think about quite a lot because we are not, like we are competing with the BBC fundamentally and the BBC has more news than us, but us at iNews, what we kind of want to do is give people interesting things, not the most recent thing. Because if we are one of like 15 news apps in your phone that gives you the same thing, like we're not adding any value to your life there. Yeah. Uh, So our thinking is more like, okay, we'll give you the analysis an hour later when we figured out what this means, or we'll give you the genuine exclusive reporting or we'll give you something like interesting like a feature or something and we're kind of trying to move in a direction that means that we're not just spamming a phone at the same time as everyone else and i think that's really important because also you know it's that thing of waking up and seeing that you have one news alert versus waking up and seeing you have like 25 news alerts you're like oh jesus christ what happened can i give you a free product idea hit me you can take this i plan to so well that's not true yeah so 
let's let's use the New York Times tweet as an example. So the New York Times tweet about smaller nuclear warheads is experts say a new generation of less destructive nuclear arms may make the prospect of a nuclear strike less unthinkable than it once was. I think you should then put a smiley face or a frowny face next to the text to let readers know how they're supposed to react. That's that uh, that's good. I like that because fundamentally how did you react to that that tweet? Did you think it was a good tweet? Well, if I okay, if I had to pick an emoji, I would have picked the combination of the monocle and the thinking face emoji. I would have done the head exploding like a nuclear bomb emoji. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, but I think it has to be a binary of smiley face or frowny face. So that way you know how you're supposed to read the story. Am I supposed to smile or am I supposed to frown? That makes sense. I mean, my my Slack avatar is is still the thumb and forefinger up against the face thinking face. Oh, nice. It has been since since I've been at my company because I just want everyone to read everything that I'm saying with a heavy dose of skepticism. That's the same reason why in Discord, my avatar for many years actually has been a smirking screenshot of the B-movie B. That makes sense. That makes sense because you want everyone yeah. to read all of your messages in the voice of Jerry Seinfeld from Bean Movie. No, I want people to know that I, a bee, am capable oh, got it, got it. of seducing a human woman. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, that's what I want. So any other last little little stray bits before we get into our big topic of the week? Anything on your mind? I don't think I have any stray bits. Sorry. I should do. <laughs> no, that's fine. We have We have a lot to get into, so let's get into it. Let's do this. Luke, have you ever heard of the term headless brand? I've heard, heard of the term headless CMS. Do you want me to explain that? A headless CMS, like a content management system? Yes. No, but we can put that behind a paywall for like the real sickos who want to pay us to talk about Great. CMSs. Actually, that would actually be a really fun <laughs> conversation to do for a day. Maybe, maybe we can we can run a coupon later in the year and do like a, a like a special crowdfund that way. Honestly, the only channel I regularly check in the side channel Discord is the one about CMSs. CMSs are great. I have many thoughts about CMSs. Here is a headless brand white paper. So this was published by otherinter.net. Uh, and it was published in 2019. And basically what it's arguing is that through blockchain technology, you can create what they call a headless brand. And the way they define it is thusly. I before we start this, I've opened this and I've skimmed like two lines and I absolutely know that this is going to be them inventing a bus again, isn't it? Sort of. So the way they just, the way they define it is really interesting. Kind, I mean, kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting. They use Bitcoin as an example uh, and they write this. Bitcoin has many strong brand characteristics, including a phenomenal origin story. Uh, which, if no one knows what, what I'm talking, what they're talking about, no one really knows who started Bitcoin. Uh, it's a pseudonymous user named Satoshi. There's lots of guesses who it is. I think it's my friend Brian Feldman, uh, former writer for New York Magazine. I think he's Satoshi, uh, and you are more than happy to tweet that at him and let him know that I think that. So Bitcoin has uh, many strong brand characteristics, including a phenomenal origin story. Yet 
there is no person or entity responsible for maintaining the story. Bitcoin is what we're terming a headless brand. Well, Bitcoin was named and given a visual identity by a single visionary founder, Satoshi Nakamoto, who once again uh, chose to remain anonymous. It is now completely disappeared from the public. All subsequent brand collateral, visual assets, messaging and positioning and more have been created by groups of community stakeholders. This has become the driving dynamic of Bitcoin's evolution as a brand. So that's sort of the basics of what they're talking about here, which is I think very interesting because what they're really doing is they're just describing the way that like a meme works or something like the the anonymous Guy Fox mask, but they're adding a financial structure to it. And I am dying to know what your initial thoughts are about this. <laughs> when I discovered this earlier this week, I was like, I need to know what's what Luke's gut says about this because I, your face is 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 on go, going on quite a journey right now. I mean, we actually spoke about kind of my thinking of like the good version of Bitcoin, which is co-op stuff, and I kind right. of see this as being the same, like. The way this works is what you need to make this work is a dedicated community who are each contributing a bunch of different things to it, but no one fundamentally owns the thing. Like everyone is an equal partner, which it should be pointed out in Bitcoin, for example, they're not. If someone owns a lot more Bitcoin than someone else, they by default have more voting power. Like there is a version of Bitcoin where someone eventually owns 51% of all the Bitcoin and it becomes a very messy situation. Right. That's obviously not really possible. I don't know what Bitcoin's market cap is, but it's going to be way beyond like a realistic number. It's 804 billion. Uh, 804 billion. Okay. No, someone could, someone could, I mean, it, it, someone could buy the majority of Bitcoin if they want. No, no, you could buy, Elon Musk has, is like 300, 400 billion. Elon Musk is close. You could buy, you could majority buy Ethereum. Ethereum's, Market yeah. cap is three hundred fifty nine billion. You could you could buy fifty one percent of bit of Ethereum if you're Elon Musk. Yeah, here's an idea for you, Elon. <laughs> that would be quite fun. But what it means is that yes, Bitcoin is a headless brand. That makes sense. I understand how everything is produced for the headless brand by a group of people who are sort of have stake. They hold a stake in it without holding a a major stake, which I think makes sense. But the question comes down to why. Because <laughs> the, the 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 idea of a headless brand isn't a good one, like so. So the, wait, the, okay. the, no, no, sorry, no, no. Sorry, the, the person who would have written this would have come at this from the perspective of, okay, so a brand is Apple, Steve Jobs, Tesla, Elon Musk, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, but that's actually not what the brand is. They're in a very small number of circumstances in which you see a brand and think of a person. Actually, the majority of brands, like, who is the guy in Vinnie McDonald's? I don't fucking know. Uh, wrong, uh, it's not, it's not the, cl- the clown isn't real. <laughs> you, you're, were you about to say Ronald McDonald's? <laughs> Ronald McDonald's not a real guy. Um, did you also, you, you sure? also, did you, I found this out recently, and maybe this is wrong, but I'm going to repeat it here without Googling. I heard the Grimace is supposed to be a taste bud. Oh. oh. He's supposed to be like a nodule on a tongue. It's quite funny that McDonald's have made one of their villains the taste bud. Is the Grimace a villain? I don't know. I thought the Grimace was, is he called the Grimace because like that's a reaction to like a bad taste? I, I, I don't know. He's, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm looking it up now. Uh, I was only aware of, of one can, one canonical villain. He's of ind- indeterminate species. Oh. Maybe I oh, was only- oh oh right right. Originally, Grimace was the evil Grimace with two pairs of arms with which to steal milkshakes. 
But why is he grimacing? Well, I don't think he is grimacing. I think that's his name. But what, why is he called the... Like, the Hulk is called the Hulk because he's a Hulk of a man. The grimace, I would assume, has some sort of grimace-related attributes. I was only aware of one canonical villain in the McDonald's universe, which was the Hamburglar, and he steals hamburgers. We're getting off track, but I, no, I agree with you. Originally, Grimace was evil, Then he well, and he looked kind of the same, but he was evil, and then he stopped being evil because he terrified children, and so they rebrand him as a happy thing. You know what people should right. bring? Okay, right, no, got it. Okay, so what it was, this is fascinating. The Hamburglar <laughs> stole the hamburgers, right? Yeah. Grimace stole the milkshakes. Oh, did anyone steal the French fries? No, no one lost the French fries. I well, I up until a point, I really preferred. Actually, my French, my fast food French fry tastes have changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, I won't get into that. I'll put that behind the paywall as well. You know what we should though bring back though is like that really like mature fan art of fast food mascots beating the shit out of each other on 4chan. Do you remember those that those that pictures? Was good. That was a good yeah. era. Like like uh, the KFC Colonel is like a mob boss. And he's like, uh, and he's like fighting Ronald McDonald. Anyways, okay. Which, well, no, hold on. I can bring this back. I can bring this back. Okay, bring it back. Here's the point. When people look at brands, they think, uh, they look at McDonald's and they think of Grimace or Ronald McDonald. When they look at KFC, they think of a colonel. They don't uh-huh. think of the person who actually is the head of the brand. And this, I think, is the error that they're kind of making with the concept of headless brands. Because in the concept of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the brand. Like Bitcoin is the head yeah, and there's I think a misunderstanding of of how they're controlled and how they're perceived. And I personally think that a brand is something that is perceived, not something that's controlled. And a company is something that's controlled. So it's a headless company, but not a headless brand. So I had a off the back of that, I had a terrifying vision of the future uh, the other day. So I my my girlfriend is from Brazil. She lives in Sao Paulo. I go down there quite a bit. I was down there uh, as of two days ago. I was walking around, going to get breakfast. And I pass like uh, like in Brazil they have kind of like uh, like a newsstand, cigarette stand kind of thing called a a banco, and you'll see them like around. And uh, on the side of one of them that I was passing was like a giant Bitcoin logo, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What the fuck is this? Is like is there like someone selling Bitcoin on the side of the road in Brazil? Uh, because like Brazil is beginning to adopt Bitcoin. Like you can get a tax break now if you." Uh, pay your taxes in Bitcoin in, in Rio de Janeiro. Like there's all kinds of like the global parts of the global South are like moving towards Bitcoin. Uh, and it's not exactly a great process as people from El Salvador can tell you. But I, I started reading more closely and it wasn't Bitcoin that they were selling. It was like it was like educational books about how to learn about crypto medias or cryptocurrencies. And I was like, OK, that's better. But I did get this horrifying vision of the future. It's slightly better. But I got this horrifying vision of the future where I was like, oh, wow, like there's absolutely going to be like a world at a certain point if this keeps going where like people are going to be buying Bitcoin from like random people on the side of the road, like on mobile devices. It's already kind of happening. It's happening. You can do that in Miami, actually. There was a place in uh, Shoreditch on Shoreditch Roundabout, which was a, I want to say, I want to say it was a cafe. It might not have been a pub. But for a long time, like years ago, it had a Bitcoin vending machine. Oh, wow. In that you could go up to it. You were there. I showed it to you. In yes, you, could you did. And if you go up, you could put a card in and buy like a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin. It was extremely strange. But What year was this? 2014. Wow, that's pretty early. Yeah, no, it's super early. Uh, that place, I, I went past the other day. It's gone now, uh, obviously. I assume the, the Bitcoin providers didn't 
Oh God, it was next to a shop that uh, did on-demand 3D printing, which is also gone. So. Wow, that place may have been teleported from 2024 back in time, got stuck in 2014, and then went out of business because it was too early. Yeah, but I often think, like, had I not gone to the bar every time I walked past it and spent that 25 quid on Bitcoin instead, I'd have money now. Yeah, but... Think of all the great stories you have from sitting around doing nothing other than drinking pints of beer for hours at a time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this white paper about headless brands uh, has an interesting section here, kind of of talking about like what happens when a headless brand starts to splinter. And they're using an example – if if uh, if you don't know this term, so like when when people disagree about the use of a cryptocurrency, they can create what's called a fork, and this is true for like programming as well. So a fork would be like you take the project and you tweak it to how you want it to make it, and you make a new version. So so here's here's what the white paper reads: in the absence of structured brand management. Uh, design decisions have become well-known tenants of Bitcoin's brand, such as hard money, non-fiat money, proof of work, white paper, blockchain. The immutability of these core protocol mechanisms has allowed for many narratives to emerge on top. And the Bitcoin Cash fork is perhaps the exception that proves the rule. When Bitcoin Cash forked, so uh, if you've never heard of this, people disagree with how Bitcoin was being used. They made a fork of Bitcoin called Bitcoin Cash. OG Bitcoiners were able to express their belief in the new brand by adopting the equivalent amount of their balances in the forked chain. The fact that many did not opt to take custody or simply dumped Bitcoin cash on exchanges is telling of the profound brand divergences between these two visions. While Bitcoin has strengthened since the fork, Bitcoin cash has undergone further forks, pointing to the fact that the Bitcoin cash brand has continued to evolve, albeit in a tortured manner. In summary, Bitcoin shifting brand results from three main characteristics. Bitcoin is headless, completely lacking a centralized entity, which attempts to control its brand presence. Two, its defining protocol design decisions are immutable. And three, its users are financial stakeholders and workers in the network, both of whom stand to gain from increasing adoption of the Bitcoin protocol. What I think is really weird here is they're basically just like creating like a like a religion around the idea of like bitcoins like purity above other forks okay this is really interesting i have two thoughts on this one is that whoever wrote this needed an editor uh the number of times you stumbled over those words to say like albeit in a torture no christ no i know there is not a piece of writing about the blockchain that exists that does not need serious editing these people do not know how to communicate continue cool the other version of this is that there's my initial version of this was like, okay, so if you're running this this brand, like, or you're pro this brand, why would this be a good thing? And I don't think it is. There is a, another version of this, which is that this is better because the idea is, is that brands are going to constantly fall apart. Basically, this is a version of branding that is governed by the same principles that govern leftist politics in that groups are constantly falling apart. Like, all groups are... Uh, suffer from extremely short-term entropy where whenever they are vaguely successful they immediately splinter it's your idea that like leftism is like con- is in a constant state of schism yeah exactly the idea would be here would be you keep brands in a constant state 
state of schism. So from one hand, it would suggest that, okay, brands are going to be less impactful. McDonald's is not going to be as much of a thing because there's McDonald's, there's McRonald's, there's McRons, there's McDonald's. And it immediately splinters in such a way that it's like impossible to keep up with, which in one hand is good because it means that, you know, McDonald's is never going to own half the world because it's going to splinter before it gets there. Great. No brands. Downside of that, you're going to go into a foreign city and you're going to see a McDonnie G's and be like, is that a good one? I don't know. Right. Is that one of the ones that will give me a Big Mac or will someone punch me in the face? Could go either way. Interesting. That So my my mind went to memes, obviously. So like the best example of this would be Rage Comics. You have the original Rage comic face, which uh, I don't know what it was. Let's say the troll face. Sure. And then from troll face, you get Magusta and then you get Derpet. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. But then what's crazy is that out of nowhere... Uh, Wojak, the feels guy, he becomes the dominant species of Rage comic 15 years later. Not Trollface. No one's using Trollface anymore, even though that predates Soyjack. So it's what this is sort of describing is like the uh, the survival of the fittest uh, evolutionary biology almost of memes, but applied to financial structures, which seems like deeply painful to be a part of. <laughs> yeah no it's it, sure, sure and the idea that yeah this thing constantly splinters is good but also then you end up for a while being like wow the bad one's on the top at the moment i can't wait for that to splinter yeah like for instance like dogecoin is a is a is a fork dogecoin is an altcoin but then dogecoin has split and now there's like all kinds of doge related coins and a a, a family friend of mine last year became very convinced that one of these coins was actually started by Elon Musk. It was not. Uh, the coin is called Doge Elon. And a blog post had claimed that eventually it'll be used on Mars by Elon Musk. And uh, the, my friend, uh, the, the person I know bought too much of it, thinking that that was true. Sure. Because that's kind of one of the things that's inherent to this headless brand structure, which is that like there's no way to vet anything really. Yeah, I mean that is that is ultimately the the problem with this is that you're going to end up in a situation where it basically into well, I mean, is it bad? It introduces an, <laughs> it introduces an extra degree of randomness into the market, and the market should be more random because at the moment everything only flows one way, right? So maybe a little bit of chaos there is good. Equally like- though. It that's what the mean, Joker says. That's what the, that's what the Joker says a lot. Well, the Joker had some points. I agree. But broadly speaking, what you, yeah, what you have is it would be good if everything did not inexorably flow one way. However, I assume that anything like this would immediately be successfully monetized and exploited by the people who the thing already flows to, and it would just accelerate it because that's how these things work. That's a fantastic transition into our next section. Let's talk about headless brands and board ape yacht club. Wait, hold on. Can can we before we do that? Can we talk about the final f- paragraph of this? Uh, piece? I mean, that was a pretty good transition, but yeah. Okay, no, read no, it. Fine, no, no, read it, read it, read it, read it. Uh, a decentralized brand is a fiction made real, an egregore, a self-sovereign entity that lives through the imagination and belief of many. One does not simply decide what a decentralized brand is, which is nonsense. Um, and an egregore is, yeah, it is what? an occult concept. Oh my god, yeah. It's part of it's it links. So the word egregore, E-G-R-E-G-O-R-E, 
links out to a Wikipedia article, which is a part of a series on chaos magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know this is good. Uh, the concept of egregorial powers has its roots in the Book of Enoch, which, which is, is a ancient he- Hebrew apocalyptic religious text. Interesting. What's also really weird is at the <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, this actually uh, is wild. <laughs> so uh, at the bottom of this Wikipedia article, it notes that Gary Lackman, who is apparently a musician known as Gary Valentine. Uh, oh, guitarist for, for Blondie, um, who's also like heavy into mysticism and occultism, talked about Pepe the Frog being an egregore in a book he wrote called Dark Star Rising. And then further down this page, there are links to other forms of internet occultism, such as memetics and tulpa mancy, the uh, the thing that like uh, My Little Pony fans were obsessed with manifesting cartoon ponies into real life through the powers of meditation. Yeah, cool. So this, whoever wrote this, <laughs> seems like they are fucking onto it. Like, <laughs> all right, we're in good company. We, you know that. <laughs> you know that we're talking about a really good thing when the suggested article at the bottom is brony tulpas <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh man we got the guitarist from blondie in on this oh man you know that we're in really good we're in a really good place <laughs> all right let's talk about board ape yacht club now okay so okay how much do you know luke about like how board ape Yacht Club NFT copyright works. Uh, the copyright of the actual images? Yeah, like, do you know, like, how that whole thing works? Because I've uh, spent the week getting kind screamed of nothing, at. to be honest. I assume okay. that they don't have any. So I've, I've spent the week getting screamed at by NFT owners because they think that they have owned me uh, by pointing this out. So Board Ape Yacht Club is a brand. It is owned by Yuga Labs. Uh, and it, ha- it is represented by UTA, United Talent Agency. Okay, sorry. So I, I can just say again. My assumption would be coming from a point of working in the industry, but not actually having research. This would be regardless of who owns the NFT, the copyright belongs to the original artist because that's how copyright works in most countries. That's my assumption. So let's go from there. So that's what's interesting, right? That is how copyright works. And board ape NFTs say that if you buy that nft you own the copyright to the image which makes them unique uh among nfts most nfts default the exact same way copyright works and also like you don't even own the image we've kind of gone over this in other episodes when you buy an nft you're not buying an image you're buying a place in a database which shows that you bought the image but you don't actually own the image okay cool board apes though you can use that image and you can use it commercially you can use uh, a board ape that you buy an NFT of in any way you want. Okay. Here's the here's the the but though. You cannot use the brand name of Board Apes in any way without permission from Yuga Labs. Uh, wait, hang on. So you own the copyright of the image, but not the copyright of the name Board Ape. Yeah. So like a bunch of NFT guys were like shouting at me on Twitter, being like, "Um, actually, I own the commercial rights to my ape. I just can't say Board Ape Yacht Club." And then. 
I, you know, I was at the airport and I like, didn't want to get in a Twitter fight before the plane takes off. You know, Justine Sacco, I'm not going to get in on that, sure. you know, but I wanted to tweet back. Why would you pay money for a board ape when you could just draw a chimp, start a restaurant called like tedious monkey burgers and just have people assume that it's affiliated with board ape yacht club. I mean, the name would be different would be the big one, but yeah, they, if they, they, I mean, that would be the question, wouldn't it be? Because also, if you have a, if you buy one board ape, you could then use the cop, the copyrighted image of that in any way you wanted. Uh, in theory, yes. Uh, and the reason this has come up is because a uh, a restaurant tour in America um, is starting a board ape yacht club themed pop up, uh, and it's called Board and Hungry, which I assume means that he had some sort of interaction with Yuga Labs to be able to do that. And in the mock-up of the the Bored and Hungry food that he posted on Instagram, there's a Bored Ape NFT on the soda cup, a different Bored Ape on the French fries holder, and then a third Bored Ape mutation. I don't know about, if you know about this, where like people were mutating their NFTs. Yeah. You know yeah. 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 So a, a mutated ape on the burger holder. So that to me implies that this guy owns like at least he's like he's using the apes that he bought for the pop up. But the fact that it's called bored and hungry makes me think that has to be some sort of signal that he's talked to Yuga Labs. Yeah, it does. I think, though, looking at this, the guy who has constructed the guy who's doing it is a guy called Aaron Kai who is not the original artist of it, but does seem to own a bunch of NFTs. And he is using those NFTs to brand it. So I don't know. Yeah, I would assume that he owns some NFTs of some board ape NFTs and is then... Is this the, this guy? Sorry, I'm on I'm onto a different thing now where I'm looking at like, okay, who is the guy who owns the thing? But you could start up I mean, the fact that he says bored and hungry, I think is really interesting because that to me heavily, heavily implies that he doesn't have permission. Really? That's, that's your takeaway is because that he doesn't. Actually, wait, he's not saying bored ape yacht club. You, like you can, you can't own the word bored and I'm trying to figure out, and it seems to be affiliated with an artist and Aaron Kai. So the, 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 the initial sort of like, not press release, but like the announcement was made in an industry publication called Nation's Restaurant News, which phrased it as a re- the first restaurant tied to Bored Ape Yacht Club. And all of the writing about this has been saying that. But what's interesting is like in his Instagram captions, he d- I don't think he mentions Bored Ape Yacht Club. Yeah, I don't see that he does either. I think that this is a... I think this event between the lines by a guy, Aaron Kai, has a subgroup, has a, some sort of subgroup. He is somehow related to it. This guy, Andy Nguyen, is also who owns restaurants and collects these damn things. It's kind of like just doing a fun thing related to it. But I don't think, I don't think this is affiliated. Like, I don't see any connection that this is actually a thing. I think that this is a guy who has realized that he can just stick a his board that he owns and therefore owns the copyright of 
he can stick that very easily onto the side of his restaurant, which he calls bored and hungry, so he's not infringing the name copyright, and just run with it. Well, if that's the case, I'm wondering... I'm wondering how long this goes until Yuga Labs says something because Yuga Labs has taken action against Arizona Ice Tea, who tried to do a similar thing but got way too close to invoking the brand name Board Ape Yacht Club, and Yuga Labs went after them. If there's a ton of like blogs and and news sites writing this up as the first ever Board Ape Yacht Club restaurant, I'm wondering how long that can go until Yuga Labs puts out a statement and says we're not affiliated with it. Yeah, but it's a slightly different thing because Arizona Ice Tea are a brand. This is just a guy. But he's a, I mean, he's a big, I mean, he's a, he's a well-known restaurateur. Sure. And it's also worth pointing out that Board Ape, with Arizona Ice Tea, Board Ape did not actually say that it was like not allowed. They said that they overstepped their commercial limits. Right. Which is not the same thing as actually condemning it because I don't know that I think I think if Yuga Labs actually start to sue people, I think they'd be in a big problem. Like I, I think they would it would kind of break their thing. So they can just go like, eh, we didn't approve this. And I think that is the question of kind of like they, I, I suspect they would do it to big brands like Arizona Ice Tea, but then not to random people doing a pop up restaurant for two days. Which is what this is as well. It's not a real restaurant. It's a pop-up restaurant, which is not the same thing. That is true. But what I think is really interesting is that like all of this confusion and all of this weirdness is part of the headless brand idea. So like once again, my my question is like, why can't I just draw a chimp, stick it on something, once again, call it Tedious Monkey Burger, which I think is a great name, actually. And uh, just hope people assume that I'm connected to Board Ape Yacht Club. I mean, this is going to be really interesting. Like, if, if you want to uh, uh, think about is a brand successful, the real measure of it is uh, do people sell knockoffs of it? That's kind of the whole thing. Yes. If you go to a random European city and a bunch of people are selling you like knockoffs of Board Ape Yacht Club t-shirts, then Board Ape Yacht Club is a brand. I don't think that's happening right now. I don't think so either. Actually, uh, the Twitter user Sean Moorhead had a really good thread a couple days ago about how popular Goku is in the global south as a as a as a as a derivative knockoff mascot for like different stuff. Uh, and actually, yesterday on the way to the airport in Brazil, I passed a van whose logo was uh, Goku going Super Saiyan. Uh, fun fact. That is fun. That I didn't know where I was going to go with that. Oh. Uh, but no, I agree with you. Like without knockoffs. I don't think you can claim that it's but see this is the other weird thing is that like the headless brand concept as interesting as I find it and it's sort of like thoughtful as I find it as like a as a meditation on like the way the internet changes culture kind of like without anyone in charge what is the difference between a headless brand and like buying a knockoff sonic doll somewhere like wouldn't that just be an example of that like aren't knockoffs a headless brand what like what is the difference other than blockchain technology? Well, a headless brand, a, a knockoff in that version would have theoretically someone going after them to be like, stop selling a knockoff Sonic dolls. If Board Ape Yacht Club are going to do that, then maybe they become that. But I don't think it is in Yuga Labs's interest as a brand to start suddenly going after people who they view as infringing copyright. Which I'm not even sure they are infringing copyright. Like, because <laughs> right. 
Like also, this is the other question. Like if you drew a brand new board ape, like there are a thousand of them, right? A thousand? Is it a thousand? Is it 10,000? There's a lot of them. Yeah. But if you drew a brand new one that just like combines a feature of the other one, you could do that easily in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever you wanted to use. Do you then, could you use that? Do you own the copyright to that? I I drew a lazy lion NFT for a project that uh, didn't we didn't end up doing it, but we were going to make like uh, a parody of an NFT and stick it on flyers around New York City with a QR code. Um, we didn't end up doing it, but I drew the NFT and I I I drew a lazy lion. I I traced it in Illustrator and kind of changed a few attributes and then I colored it like the Joker, <laughs> and like uh, the the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, obviously. Sure and. Uh, yeah, like I could just, I, I mean, I I would be curious how that would work. And also, lazy lions. I don't I don't even know what the copyright is with lazy lion NFTs because every NFT line is totally different. And as you said, most things just default to the copyright going to the person who created it. But a lot of these NFT lines also hide who even made the artwork for the NFT line. Yeah, but in that case, surely the the copyright goes to the brand. Like, this is what I, I can't understand about this. It's like, if you're buying the copyright at the same time, then you can use your, I mean, you can use your NFT for anything. And the ultimate end goal of this, or end goal, end tragedy of this, as with everything on the internet, is it will be used in some sort of the commission of a serious crime or terror act. Yeah. And someone will have the NFT on them as they do it. And they'll brand it and say like, Bode Yacht Club, number, 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 number. And... Board A your club will therefore start. Oh, you're talking about like the like the Christchurch shooter PewDiePie thing, basically. So this that is actually a really interesting final point to make with all of this. So let's 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 move let's move to the conclusion here because I, I think we we have a lot of big topics to kind of like synthesize before we end. And this is this is the thing that I find myself most drawn to with all of this. It feels like we've gotten to a point with internet culture. Where like we can recognize that internet culture cannot like good internet culture really can't be created by one person. Even something like Gangnam Style by Psy, released by Psy, but it takes on a life of its own once it becomes memes, once it becomes iterative, once it becomes remixes. And that kind of like fuels everything now. Uh it, like everything kind of requires a, a collective of people to make it into something bigger and more important. So we know that. We we and we can accept that. And we also know that like the way that works is confusing and like hard to map out and like you kind of want it to, to, to happen. But now we're like struggling with ownership and copyright and like monetization because that process inherently doesn't really line up with that. Like you can't really have like virality that fits in with traditional financial structures. So like Web3 people are basically like going through these bizarre Byzantine, like almost occultist kind of like models trying to figure out how to like how to how to control that chaos but i don't think it's actually possible yeah i'm trying to think of what a i'm trying to think of what the the natural matchup to this is and you know what it is actually you're gonna hate this always yeah, as always probably, probably but it is it is fandom uh like the idea of be having a owning part of this is the same as <laughs> owning a t-shirt from a band basically or oh no actually no this is the perfect one it's a season ticket for a football club 
because okay. you are technically. I, li- I liked it up until you took it to football, and then I didn't <laughs> like it anymore. But no, I agree but with you. I agree. It's perfect you. because it is. There are a football club has you know hundred thousands, millions of fans, but then there are in the middle thirty thousand people who have a season ticket. And you can transfer that season ticket around, you can lend it to someone for a game, but it's still fundamentally attached to your identity as a single thing. And you are one of the season ticket holders. And you get a couple of extra rights and there are some like knobs and, and twiddles that you can do like where you own bits and pieces. But fundamentally, that's it. Like everyone's a fan of this thing, but then a small number of, a smaller segment of them actually have a, a ticket that enables them to be like, I am one of these people. And then a smaller number of the people actually control it and take the money off everyone. So to turn it back into a a thing that I understand, I would (laughs) compare it to a comic convention where you go dress like Deadpool. Yeah, a Deadpool cosplayer is a perfect example. You go to a comic convention, you're dressed like Deadpool, you do a bunch of Deadpool related shenanigans and people take a video of you like pranking Spider-Man or whatever it is, like running around being a little scamp. And that video goes viral and then you become a famous Deadpool cosplayer. That would, in this metaphor, be the same as becoming a Bitcoin millionaire. No, no, no. So in this version, <laughs> what it would be is that Marvel uh, have declared... Mar- Deadpool is Marvel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Deadpool's Marvel. Yeah, okay, good. I, I had, I had a, a brain fade there. But in this version, Marvel has said that there are, there are 10,000 official Deadpool cosplayers. Oh, uh, yeah. And there are 10,000. That's it. And you have to pay to become one of the Deadpool cosplayers. And when you're a Deadpool cosplayer, you get the knowledge that you're an official Deadpool cosplayer. Marvel aren't going to do jack shit to stop anyone else also being a Deadpool cosplayer, but they're not going to be an official one. Right. But what that means, what that means is if then someone, one of the non-official ones, opens a Deadpool restaurant, you can't do anything about that. They can open their Deadpool restaurant, they can give everyone salmonella, and you can't do anything about that. And it's like, well, it wasn't an official Deadpool cosplayer, and everyone's like, sure, but it was like one of you guys. And it's like, no, 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 it was a different one. And then one of these Deadpool guys, they get on, they do a, they do a, uh, go on a killing spree, and they go, no, no, it was fine because it wasn't an official Deadpool cosplayer. And they're like, sure, but it was one of you guys. You're all this, and like, this is kind of the problem that I see. You keep bringing it back to the terrorism thing, but yeah, no, that makes sense I actually. I, I am very shocked, honestly, that uh, an NFT hasn't been related to a major act of terrorism or hatred yet. Like, like a maybe like. I mean, but that it kind of has in a way because like the People's Convoy had all the Bitcoin stuff. But then what's also weird is that like Ukraine is using Bitcoin to to fundraise. So like I do wonder if like the headless brand nature of it is also kind of a way to to make it not like anti hijackable by extremists, but like does insulate it a bit. I wonder. Yeah. It does. I mean, it does a little bit. I don't think it does that much. No, no, no. I mean, first of all, like there are more horrible things that involve Bitcoin than don't. Let's be real. But <laughs> yes, I do, but I I do find that entire. I guess like there is something to be said for like totally having faith in that process. But I do find that faith deeply naive. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what it comes down to: the faith that actually this is a good thing and will never be used for a bad thing, and everyone involved in it is on the same page is like just it's never been true of any group bigger than like one person yeah no i agree and and what's really funny is that like at the end of the day all this actually really boils down to 
the simplest and also hardest thing to do on the internet, which is community management. Yeah. If you want to turn currencies into pieces of digital information, then you've just turned financial markets into online communities. And that is the most complicated and also simplest thing that exists is just dealing with, with like mod drama, essentially. Yes. What is the, what is the fed if not mod drama? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) What is inflation if not uh oh shit I don't know enough about how finance works to make this joke. What is inflation if not tweet decking? Yeah. A pay for retweet scam? Would that be right? No. No. No, it wouldn't at all, would it? <laughs> um, all right. The closest the closest thing is probably if Okay, if a new community found your community's board and then suddenly it was different, you couldn't tell how, but it was worse. Oh, astroturfing. No, no, because astroturfing, you can tell what's happening, but it'd be like really subtle astroturfing. Hyperinflation would be astroturfing. This is like a version (laughs) before astroturfing. Okay, so like community drift. Yeah, community drift. Yeah, okay. Okay, interesting. All right, well, that's something to chew on. Hey, Luke. (laughs) Have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Oh, oh, I finished Genius. Oh, interesting. I have not at all, actually. But oh, I'm curious to hear I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. I obviously was on a plane, so I've watched a bunch of movies. I went into this episode thinking I wanted to talk about turning red. I might still. We have a couple minutes before we record the next one and maybe I'll change <laughs> my mind. But I also finally watched the French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson movie. Okay. And I have a lot of Wes Anderson thoughts, actually, weirdly enough. Okay. Which maybe one of the lamer things I've said on this show over the last couple of years. Let's do let's do Wes Anderson and Kanye West, two people of equal artistic integrity and personality. Two cool guys. <laughs> <laughs> two cool guys. All right. Uh, we're going to go over there and talk about it. You can listen to that at thecontentminds.com. It is a paywalled episode for subscribers. You can subscribe at thecontentminds.com slash subscribe. Thank you again to Seven Morris, our editor, for providing the lovely soundscapes, which are hitting your ear, ear which are hitting your ear holes right now, and taking out clumsy and, things like Ryan just did, and taking out clumsy things that just happened, like the one that just happened. Yes, uh, let's go over to our other show and talk about uh, two cool guys. All right, bye everybody. Bye.